what we're about to see tonight is that because of what God did through Simon Peter, we, everybody in here but Mike, were the recipients. Because now in, in Acts chapter 9, the, the focus turns back to Simon Peter and it gets off of Saul and his conversion. Uh, though there had already been an incredible harvest of tens of thousands of souls in the early church, they were mainly Jewish in character. But God was about to reach the despised Gentiles, which be you and me. Okay? Now, no doubt, back in those days, Peter was in high demand. He was the guy you wanted to invite. Everybody wanted to hear about Jesus firsthand from the man, Simon Peter, who had walked with him throughout all of his earthly ministry. They wanted to hear a, a, a guy who had watched Jesus, been right there in the boat with him, right there when he healed the crowds, right there when he taught. And right there when he was even praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter was there to see it all. Now, it says in Acts 9.32, we're jumping in, in the middle of the chapter where we left off last time. It came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Now, there was a local church planted in Lydda, which Peter now came to visit. Now, I want you to keep in mind that uh, Peter had watched firsthand Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, open blind eyes, and he had heard Jesus say to the 12 disciples, read this with me, these miraculous signs will accompany the special. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? Who does it say miraculous signs will accompany? Read it. Those who believe. How many of you can say that's me? All right, now let's keep reading. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Who will do these things? Those who believe. Those who believe. Now, Peter believed Jesus' words and acted on them, as we're going to see in verse 33. The action begins now through Simon Peter. There in Lydda, he found a certain man named Aeneas, or Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, and he was paralyzed. This man could not move. He's paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately, doesn't say he made his bed. I think he forgot to make his bed. Because <laughs> if I'm raised from paralysis, I ain't making my bed. I'm going to have a benefit right on the spot, right? Now, he arose immediately, and all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and what did they do? They turned to the Lord when this great miracle happened. Now, this was a miracle of restoration. He was restored back to his healthy condition. Okay? Miracle of restoration. Peter simply placed his faith in the name of Jesus and used the name of Jesus with authority and experienced a great miracle. But God wasn't done with Peter. He's on a roll now. The news flashed throughout the region of this great healing, and people flocked from everywhere to see the healed man, and they went away saved. So now we've got revival beginning to move, beginning to stir. But not only was there a miracle of restoration. But next, there's a miracle of resurrection. 
which is greater. First one, you've got a man raised from the bed of paralysis. We're about to see somebody raised from the dead. Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I'd pick Tabitha. How about you? This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Look at her character here. Look at Dorcas or Tabitha. Now, Joppa was about 10 miles from Lydda. So Peter had traveled 10 miles. And Joppa also had a local church, and he just he dropped in to visit. Everywhere Peter went, the move of God went with him. Wouldn't you want to like to be that way? Everywhere you go, the move of God goes with you. Now, There was in this church in Joppa this woman, a beloved woman, who had blessed the congregation, the Bible says, with her many good works. Her name, Dorcas, or Tabitha, means gazelle, which is a graceful creature. Uh, Just like this good woman was spiritually, she she was gracious. She was full of the love of the Lord. Her love for the Lord caused her to do good work. She blessed the congregation where she was. And folks, can I tell you, that's God's will for every one of us. Where, where Tabitha went to church, she became a blessing where she went. And she was full of good works. Now, I tell you often, good works don't save you. But good works do testify that you have been saved. And every one of us have been called to do good works. Good works flow out of a good heart that has been touched by the grace of God. And Paul lets us know in Ephesians that he ordained, God ordained, that we would all be involved in good works from before the foundation of the world. So when God saved you, he also saw you involved in good works and ordained that you would do things for people, bless people, whatever your gift is. Her gift apparently was was with practical things. She, She made things for people as we're about to see. It says in verse 37, it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So here's this good woman. Everybody knew her. It'd be like somebody in this church. Everybody knows. Out of the blue, a sickness struck her. Bad things happen to good people. Say, Jeff, you ought not say that's a bad confession. No, that's a true statement. Bad things happen to good people. It shouldn't mystify you. God works through it all, but sometimes bad things happen to good people. I know somebody who was headed home the other night. And as they were headed home, they came right up on a car wreck, bad car wreck. And before they got there, a Christian woman had pulled over to help the people in the car wreck. And she was so overwhelmed with what she saw, she darted across the road. And a car hit her, and she went home to Jesus. Bad things can happen to good people. And and so if you say, well, where's God if bad things happen to good people? Wrong question. Here's the right question. Were you ready? Were you ready? God always wants us ready. And when you read the Bible, uh, the Lord never addresses why did something bad happen to a good person or who we would consider good. Dorcas was good. This woman who ran across the road and got hit had a 15-year-old daughter. Now she's with Jesus. So why did that happen? Better question, was she ready? The good news is yes. 
Let me tell you something, church. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. Where did you get that you do? James said, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So while you have today, do all the good you can do to as many people as you can do them, because you may not have a tomorrow, and I might not either. Hey, life's a gift. So if you wake up in the morning, lift your hand and say, thank you, Lord, you gave me a day. Amen. Amen? So here's this, here's this woman full of good works, blessing in the congregation. Out of the blue, she gets sick, and she dies. Now, not knowing what, what to do and overcome with grief, they, they call for Peter. And it says in verse 38, since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Now, we don't know what their motive was for calling Peter, because he wasn't even in town. Was it to invite him to the funeral? Could be. Or to seek consoling words from the great apostle? Could be. Or were they believing for the great miracle that actually occurred? We don't know. But what we do know is Peter came. Verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. We've got an upper room. Good things happen in the upper room. Because look what's about to happen in this upper room. (laughs) They got filled with the Spirit in an upper room. God likes upper rooms. If you've got a two-story house, I'd stay upstairs. (laughs) And all the widows stood by him weeping. And look what they were showing him, the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with him. So that was her gift. She just made tunics and garments. She she did practical things. She made, you know, um, what what is it that our ladies do? Um, prayer shawls. And our, we have a group of ladies, I'm telling you, they go in there with uh, knitting needles and they create these beautiful prayer shawls. And, and, and we take them to people who are terminal and, or who are sick. And we, we give them these prayer shawls. I've done it myself, visiting people who, who didn't have long. And I've given them a prayer shawl that our ladies made. It's an act of love. And they wept when I covered them with this prayer shawl. And so this is what Tabitha did. This is the kind of thing she did. And it says, um, let me also make this one comment. She was known by what she did for others. All of us leave a legacy. All of us do. For good or for bad. Now, Tabitha left a legacy of love, care, compassion, and unselfishness. No wonder the church wept and they're holding the things that she made. Look what she did, Peter. Look what she made. And they wept. You know, if you were gone tonight, what would be the legacy? What would people remember? You want them to remember that Jesus' love flowed through you. In whatever your gift was, you want to leave a legacy. Verse 40, but Peter put them all out. He knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Look at this, everybody. Read it with me. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, I got to remember here the healing of Jairus' daughter. Remember that healing? 
And the same scene, Jesus is called to a house. He goes into the house and it's full of grieving people, weeping and wailing and carrying on. And, and this is the same scene that met Peter when he comes to the place where Tabitha was in the upper room. Jesus made everybody get out. He said, everybody out of here, out of this room. And he kept, I think, Peter and John in the room with him, but that's it. He, everybody else had to go. Jesus put all the grievers out and Peter did the same thing. It says he, he put them all out until it's Peter and this woman, this dead woman, this dead blessed woman, this good woman. He kneels down, he looks at her and he just tells her to get up. Faith sometimes needs our full concentration. And we've got to put away all distractions to focus on the need that is at hand. There are times I don't want people around me. I spend a lot of time alone with God. I do. Now, I'm not trying to sound hyper-spiritual, but I spend time alone with God uh, in the Word and in prayer and in contemplation and reflection because I need to hear Him. And I need to, to, I need to, to know that I've got the sense of what He's leading me to do by the day. And, you know, sometimes we can get around people that don't have the faith we have. And we're to love them, but when you're believing for a miracle, sometimes you need to say to the less faithful, hey, if you don't mind, I need to be alone. I don't need anybody pulling me down. I'm on miracle ground. I need a miracle. Just give me people who can believe. Amen? Amen. So on his knees, Peter faces the corpse and says, Tabitha, arise. What did Jesus say to that Jairus' daughter? Talitha kumai, young damsel, arise. Same thing. Peter is just following the teacher. To his joy, the eyelids of the corpse quivered. Can you imagine this sight? Unless you're ready for a miracle, that's going to freak you out. Unless you're ready for a miracle, but her, now her eyelids quivered, her breath was taken in and the eyes opened and a dead woman got up. Jesus took the Jairus's daughter by the hand and raised her up. What did Peter do? Just what the master did. He took the girl by the, or the Dorcas by the hand and raised her up. She sat up. He presents her to the church. Now folks, think with me a minute. Can you imagine a dead person being raised from the dead in the church and being brought in to say hello again? Everybody say, holy ghost bumps. (laughs) All right? Seriously. He gave her his hand, lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa And many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Now that's the end of chapter 9. We're going out of uh, chapter 10. In chapter 10, we see that God chooses to use one man as a door of entry for the gospel into the Gentile world whose name is Cornelius. Verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. Now, please keep in mind with me, this man 
did not know Jesus. He's moving only in Old Testament truth. He doesn't know the Lord. He hasn't heard the gospel. He's a Gentile. But look how he's living only based on old. He's living a better Christian life than a lot of Christians who have the New Testament. Because look how it describes him. Three things. First, his faith. He was devout and he feared God. Second, his family. He feared God with all his house. And third, his fervor. He gave much alms and he prayed always. This man was a giver. He was always giving alms, and he prayed how often, everybody? Always. He's just praying to God. He's not going to God through Jesus' name because he didn't know anything about Jesus. He's just talking to God. So here's a praying man, a good man, a devout man, moving the best he knew how in the truth that he had. Now, all of a sudden, Cornelius receives a heavenly visitation. Look at verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Can I point out to you, church, how important our prayers are to God? Do you get what God told him? Your prayers, you pray all the time, Cornelius. You're not even praying in the name of my son because you don't know him. But you're praying in faith based on the truth you have. And your prayers have come before God and he has declared them to be a memorial. Wow. They're like a fragrance to God when we pray. Now next, God instructs him. Verse 5. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Everybody say supernatural. Now, I want you to see how the supernatural was moving. And let me ask you a question. I mean, angels are everywhere in the book of Acts. I mean, there's angels almost in every chapter. And here's a man just, just praying to God, doesn't know Jesus, but he, he, he's, he's, he's walking in the truth that he's got, and suddenly an angel appears to him and distinctly guides him and instructs him so that he can discover the truth, so that he can meet Jesus. He gives him names. Simon Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner. His house is by the sea. You know, I'm always amazed at what God knows all about us. The angel knew Cornelius' name. He called him by name. And then he knew exactly where Peter was staying. He knew the name of the owner's house, and he knew that the owner's house was by the sea. He knows your home address. He knows your zip code. He knows your area code. He knows your phone number. He knows where you live, how long you live there, and how long you're going to be there. He knows everything about you. I mean, the knowledge of God is so totally complete. You can't run away from God. Whenever you arrive where you're running to, he's waiting for you. He knew where you were going all the time. I mean, he's naming names. God knows your friends. He knows who you're running with. He knows your middle name.
He knew exactly where Peter was staying. He knew, he, so he, he, he led, he guided these men straight to where Simon Peter was spending his time. And in the meantime, God fully anticipated the problem Peter would have in going to a Gentile's house, because that's what God's about to ask him to do. Go to a Gentile's house. God knows Peter is going to balk at this. So he, so he's already moving to get Peter ready for the knock that's going to come on the door. Verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, right when they're about there, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. God knew he was going there. About the sixth hour, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending him uh, to him and let down to the earth. So he's seeing like a great white sheet, held at four corners, and is lowering down towards him. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice said to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, the things he's seeing in this sheet vision are what the Old Testament forbade him to ever eat. It's forbidden food. All right? And yet he hears this voice from heaven saying, Peter, you see those creeping things? See those crickets, grasshoppers, locusts? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter starts arguing with God. Obviously, Lord, you don't know who you're talking to. Because let me, let me just inform you about me. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And look what verse 15 says. A voice spoke to him again the second time. And I want everybody to read this with me. It's so important we understand this. Ready? What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, God did this three times just to be sure he got it. You learn by repetition. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, folks, let me minister to you on this, this one thing that Jesus spoke to him. We need to hear this for ourselves as a local church, for it would keep us from rejecting people God has accepted. What God is prepping Peter for is to go to the Gentiles, which Jews of that day considered, can I say it? Dogs. We, we Gentiles were looked down on. We were not accepted by the Jewish people. They, they would not have anything to do with Gentiles. That's why his disciples were so freaked out when they found Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well because she was a Gentile. So what are you doing talking to her? But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He doesn't see race. He doesn't see pedigree. He doesn't see one person above another ever. We're all the same. We're all equal. And that's what we're about to see in chapter 10. So what God has cleansed, you must not call common. In other words, if God has forgiven somebody, you receive them. You know, if they walk in this sanctuary with purple hair, blue hair, tatted from head to toe, earrings coming out of every place in their body, If they are a child of God, what God has cleansed, don't look down on it. Right? I want black people, white people, brown people, yellow people, red people, weird people, not weird people. I want 
frizzy hair, purple hair, blue hair. I don't care what your background is. I want you to meet Jesus. And when you do, I'm not going to reject you or call you common because what God has cleansed, we receive. Right? Come on. Seriously. There's some church congregations, you walk in, they got their nose so high in the air. If they walk outside and it's raining, they're going to drown. They look down on everybody. They got money. They got the Beamers. They got the Mercedes. They got all the cars. The, the parking lots are full of rich cars. And, and, and they've got an attitude towards people that are not like them. That's not of God. I want people to feel very comfortable in here no matter what you look like or what your background is. Because what God, and listen, if you start discriminating that way and you push people away who God has cleansed, you're going to lose the anointing of the Spirit on your church. Amen? Amen. You know, I, I shop these days and I, I go into Kroger and I go into Albertsons and I, I run into oh, all kinds of people. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's an experience to go late at night. Because that's when the vampires come out. <laughs> and I see people walking in these stores. I go, oh, oh, hallelujah, glory to God. Especially, you know, go to Walmart sometime around 10. There's people walking in there. You wonder, where did they come from? Where are they during the day? They come out only at night. They come walking into Walmart. And you just kind of have to... Walk down the aisle and do your thing and say hello. And no matter what they, because listen, some of them will, will freak you out. But, but if they're covered in the blood, Amen. if they're covered in the blood of Jesus, they're not common. Amen. They're not less than me. Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody. We're not to discriminate. So, so what God is doing is, is he's stripping away from Peter his prejudices. That's what he's doing. Now, while Peter wondered within himself with this, uh, what this vision which he had seen meant, verse 17, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate, and they called. Now, they had just been led by the Spirit to this place. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. You got a Simon Peter here? That's what the Holy Ghost told us. That's what an angel told our boss. They spoke his name based on the angelic vision. If, it had, if, he had, if they had been told, there's no Simon Peter here, it would have all proven a farce. But it wasn't. And while Peter thought about the vision, while they're knocking on the door, the Spirit says to Peter, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For, for what reason have you come? Everybody say, divine connection. I believe in divine connections. I don't believe in chance meeting. I don't believe in fate. There is no fate. I believe in God ordering my steps. And so I consider, as long as I'm walking in the spirit, I consider every encounter a divine encounter. Amen. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you, Peter, to his house. 
and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So God prepared Peter, prepared them. So when they knocked on the door, Peter had already been instructed, don't judge them, don't discriminate, go with them. I've sent them. Wow. I I believe in the divine leadership of the Holy Ghost. It was a quiet company that set out on the 30-mile journey that day. There were three Gentiles, Peter himself, and a half dozen believers from the Christian community in Joppa. Ten men in all made the journey. Now, Peter knew all too well that his fellowship with the Gentiles was unprecedented and that he would be called into account by Jewish believers for doing what he was doing. You know, folks, here's a fact. Sometimes we must obey God no matter the social cost. No matter the social cost. I was visiting a guy in the hospital today. Oh, he's so sick. So sick. Um, Two kidneys we all have. uh, You know, we're born with two kidneys. He he only has one functioning at about 30%. So sick. Swollen. It was so difficult to go, and, and he doesn't go here. I, I, it, it was somebody that I was asked to go see, and I went into this hospital, and, and I pray on the way there. I, I, listen, I, when I walk in, I want Jesus walking in with me. I don't want going there alone, because th- this was life and death, and I walked in. And, and um, so here, here's a little nurse over here, and, and here's a, a couple of other people. None of them knew me but him. Well, one other guy did know me, but the nurse didn't know me at all. And I go in, I'm, and I, I trust I'm full of the Spirit. And I looked at him, and I began to talk to him. And then I said, listen, do you mind if I lay hands on you and pray for you? Now, here's this nurse. She's standing here. And I, I said to her now, because uh, she was about to test his, his, um, his lung capacity. So I said, do you mind if I, I pray with him? I'm going to lay hands on him and pray for him. I didn't know what her background was. She said, I don't mind at all. She grabbed my hand and said, let's go. I'm serious. So I said, all right, man, this room's ready. So the other people uh, gathered around, and and I just laid hands on him, and he began to weep, and Jesus entered that room. I believe wherever you go, you ought to take him with you. But I was fully prepared. If that nurse had been negative, and sometimes they are, and it looked at me like, hey, you know, I need to do these tests, and, you know, you can pray later. But, no, God had one of his own there. But if he hadn't had one of his own there, I was prepared to pay the social cost and be bold and say, no, before you do a test, I'm praying. Amen. Amen? So Peter is ready to pay the social cost. With every step Peter took, he was stepping into the history books for God was leading him to defy prejudice, defy tradition, and defy the protests of his own mind. So he might pour out his spirit. That is, Jesus might pour out his spirit on the Gentile world, which move eventually reached us today. Verse 24, in the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I'm just a man. Oh, I like that. I love that he refused excessive exaltation of himself. 
He is, after all, only the messenger. Let me tell you what I tell my staff. As, as God is building our church and our church is growing, uh, we get more and more visible. And here's what I tell our staff. What would you think of the mule or the, the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday? And they're throwing down palm branches and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings and all of this. What would you think? of the donkey if he had been thinking to himself, wow, this is all about me. (laughs) Would you say, Mr. Donkey, you have forgotten who's riding you into the city? Because let me tell you something about you and me. What are we? Can I say it? And I don't mean this bad. I'll, I'll call myself first. I'm a called out donkey. And, and I'm bringing, Jesus is simply riding us into the city. We're just escorting Jesus into the city. But the Hosannas are never for us. They're for the ones on our back. Amen? For the one on our back. It's all about Jesus, not us. So I like that Peter said, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm just a man. Don't worship me. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful, this is Peter talking, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? And with that one sentence, God has shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter washes away any concern that his Gentile audience might have had of his rejection of them. Cornelius next informs Peter of his, his angelic visitation. He gives Peter a testimony. Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner, and his house is by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, Peter, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, here we are. We're all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And he turned the meeting over to Peter. Well, Peter is a preacher. And you don't tell a preacher, speak away. And Peter opened his mouth and said, and we got to read this, it's so good. In truth, I perceive, everybody read this with me. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So Peter's former prejudices, listen folks, are being blasted away with each passing minute. God has spoken to Cornelius, a Gentile, brought Peter to his house to hear the good news. So Peter commences to preach the gospel, and we got to read it. It's a great sermon. Verse 36, Peter says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. He said, Cornelius, you had to have heard about Jesus. I'm here to tell you about the one you heard about. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Let's read what Jesus did, everybody. Who went about doing good 
and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Verse 40. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Cornelius, we saw him after he had been resurrected. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Oh, folks, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16, it's the power of God to salvation to all who believe for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. I know that when I share the gospel, people are going to get saved. I know that when I just share the God, this is all Peter's doing here. We were with him. He was killed. He was hung on a tree. He rose from the dead. After he rose from the dead, we ate with him. We drank with him. We talked with him. Then he ascended back into heaven. He's preaching the gospel. And look what happens next. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell. I'm going to stop right there. I love those words. The Holy Spirit fell. Can we all say it together? Notice it doesn't say the Holy Spirit kindly, tickly moved. No. Say it with me. The Holy Spirit fell. Like a cascading waterfall. Upon all those who heard the word. Look what happened. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the, oh no, Gentiles, us. For they heard them speak with tongues, uh uh-oh, and magnify God. Now notice here, no need for an invitation. And he didn't even get to finish his message. I'd love to be preaching sometime and have the Holy Spirit fall. I don't even get to finish. Because, the, because God interrupted the ending with ascending. Amen. Watch this. With this descent, and, and this is where the whole chapter is going. Please pay attention here. With this descent of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, the, what Paul calls the mystery of the church was completed. The middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile was broken down. From now on in the church, the Lord Jesus made in himself of two, one, new man. So that those that had been separated, they wouldn't even go into each other's towns. Jew had nothing to do with Gentile. Gentile had nothing to do with Jew. Right here, Peter, those with him, and all of church history testifies that God tore that wall down. Now later, Paul will say, Not only is there no longer Jew and Gentile in Jesus, there's no longer male or female. There's no longer, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. There's no longer black, white, yellow, red, yellow, um, brown. There's no more 
distinction that is prejudicial in nature. No more female, male, no more Jew and Gentile. We are, the two are made one. The two have been made one by the blood. The two are one. Paul writes later, Ephesians is full of this. The Gentiles were no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Paul will say that we were grafted into the original vine. We've been grafted in. And now we are partaking of the fatness of the vine. We are partaking of the blessing that originally only the Jew laid claim to. But now we're in the same vine. And we have not chosen him, but he has chosen us to abide in him. To abide in him. And and he who abides in him and his word abides in you, you will bring forth much fruit because you will produce whatever vine you are plugged into. You You will produce the same fruit of whatever you are grafted into. If you're grafted into something fleshly or satanic, you're going to bring forth fleshly satanic fruit. But if you are grafted into the vine, Jesus Christ, you're going to bring forth Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. Against such there is no law. You don't have to try to bring forth fruit. You just do. That the Gentiles, Paul says in Ephesians 3, should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So say with me, I'm no longer a stranger. No longer outside the promises of God. But what the Jew got, I got. Now look what they did next. Then Peter answered, can anybody forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Uh, can Can I just close this tonight by pointing out What is the first thing we see the apostles wanting to do as soon as somebody is saved? When when Philip leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, what's the first thing they do? They look for some water and he baptizes him. Notice here's Simon Peter. He's seen God fall in a household of people. And not only a household of people, but Gentiles. And what's the first thing he does? Get me to some water. We need to baptize them. So if you're here tonight and you haven't been baptized in water, or when you were a little baby, you were sprinkled, I'm going to pop your bubble. The Bible never talks about sprinkling. Baptizo is the Greek word, and it means to be immersed. Now, if you're afraid of being on the camera and people seeing you go under, get over it. We've all been there. You say, but my hair. I don't want them to see my hair all pulled back. We don't care about your hair. My makeup, it'll run. We don't care about your makeup. If you haven't been water baptized, you need to go under. Because I know what some of you are thinking. It's a vanity thing. I'm not going to be up there on that big screen. There is no way. Well... Then give me a call. I saw somebody this week get baptized in a bathtub. 
Seriously, they showed me the video. Hey, I want to show you something. I got baptized in a bathtub. I said, I want to see this. And it was a little bathtub, and down they went. I don't, listen, water's water. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked Peter to stay for a few days. Well, I would think so. As long as you want to hang around, Peter, this is your, Mikasa es su casa. But next week, we're going to see that Peter catches it for breaking the social mold and receiving Gentiles. And we're going to see how he handled criticism. So can we stand together tonight? How many of you are glad you came to church tonight? Amen? Isn't God good? All right, let's lift our hands to the Lord and just worship him for a minute. Lord, we thank you for these incredible miracles. Lord, a paralyzed man being healed, a dead woman being raised, the Holy Spirit falling like a waterfall on people who had prayed, the baptism in the Holy Spirit falling on them. Their lives changed. Thank you, Lord, that you broke into the Gentile world and you pulled down prejudice. Lord, help us to receive what you have cleansed. In the name of Jesus.